book of Revelation, chapter 1. The last time we were in this book was seven years ago. Every time I teach the book of Revelation, I, I like to know uh, who I am teaching to. So, two things. Number one, if you were with us the last time we went through Revelation, raise your hand. Okay? Good. So, that's pretty good. Who has never gone through the book of Revelation in a church, verse by verse, chapter by chapter? Look at the room. This is 2021. Shouldn't be like that. Not, that's not your fault, by the way. It's the fault of the churches in America. America. <laughs> Left the A off there. <laughs> that's right. I get more Southern every day. Mom back. If you haven't lived here for a long time, you have no idea what I just said. That is a backing up term, mom back. What does that have to do to anything? Nothing. A <laughs> couple of things as we go through, and we will dive into it. We got a lot of introduction to do today, is that I realize that I have taught this three times here. This is our fourth time in the book of Revelation, which is taking us into the fourth series of Through the Bible. Luke started that, now we're in Revelation. I may not hit every point that you think is important. Everybody got that? Also, there's like eight or nine commentaries in my head of Revelation. There's a lot of things going on up here. <laughs> I know, normally you think, well, we look at you, we hear your teaching, we think there's very little up there. <laughs> Most of the time, that's true. You know when you're, men, you know when your wife asks you what you're thinking? What's your response? Nothing. It's usually true. Again, what does that have to do with today? Nothing. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I, and I have a goal each week that we'll be teaching how many verses we're going to try to get through. That is not always going to happen. Amen? So we're going to have a little grace with the pastor. Uh, and please, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, don't come after a service and say, you forgot to mention this point or this point. For the most part, I know that. And so, again, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to take us through this journey in 2021. Isn't this amazing that we're right here? And what we will even learn today is applicable to the times in which we live in. So, I'm very excited, and I'm excited for you guys to go through it that you have never gone through. I encourage you guys to take notes, read the commentaries, read the resources, re-watch the videos, and then send these videos out. And again, that's on Rumble and Parlor on our uh, social media pages, so encourage you to do that. Are you ready? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified by an angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written in it for the time is nigh or near. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you bless our time today, Lord, as, as all Every time we dive into your word, 
We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be close, knitted together as one body. Lord, as believers, we look at this book not as a mystery, but an unveiling of truth, Lord, and excitement, not to be feared. And so, Father, we just pray that you'd bless those who can't be with us, Lord, who are battling illness and who are homebound. And Lord, we just pray. We pray that, like John says at the very end, even so, Lord, come quickly. And so, Lord, we pray. Wouldn't it be great to just, in the middle of this book, rapture? So thank you, Lord. Thank you for our time now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. all right. I think I'm more excited than you. All right. What are the two most contested biblical books as seen as nonsense in the world? If you were to label them, what were the two that you would pull out as the world looks at as nonsense? Genesis and Revelation. Funny, isn't that how that is? You see, Genesis is the beginning of man, the the beginning of all things. It's the beginning of sin, the redemption of man. And Revelation shows the culmination of man. It also shows that man is not in control and that Jesus is Lord of all. Amen? (laughs) And we will see a verse about that in a minute. Now, I have a pet peeve, uh, and right off the bat, I just want to clear the slate for everybody. It's Revelation, not Revelations. Stop putting the S on there. Repent today. Knock it off. It's revelation. Prophecies about the future are only as reliable as the wisdom and knowledge and the insight of their sources. When the source of information is our limited human perspective on the past and the present, the most intellectual experts can only give an educated guess. On the other hand, if the source is the all-knowing sovereign God, We can be certain that he speaks, and when he speaks, it will shortly come to pass. And that's the difference. Now, last week I had put a uh, call to you to see if you could find the key, no shouting out, hold it. See if you could find the key verse that will help us understand the book of Revelation. Because the problem happens and especially in the modern church, that churches don't want to teach revelation. They look at it as a mystery, and it's, I mean, who can really know it and the symbolism? And, you know, we'll just stay in the Gospels. But what is sad is that this book actually, between verse, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 4, has more applicable for us as believers than a lot of the other books in the Bible, and yet it is missed by most churches because... Again, they look at it as a mystery. If you have ever thought of Revelation like that, you're in good company. A lot of people uh, through the last 2,000 years believe that, but not the early church. And I mean, from the time it is written, they knew exactly what was going on. And we're going to dive into that. The way that our minds think, the way that we were taught to think as Greek thinkers rather than uh, the way the Bible was written from a Hebrew perspective, a Jewish perspective. So there are really two key verses in this 
book of Revelation. And the first one that will get us going today is Revelation 1, verse 19. Turn with that. It's, you're right there in the chapter. We even made a slide so it's easier for you. Don't expect me to do this every week. I mean, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? I stole the image, but I put the words on it. So here it is. So if you understand this verse, you're going to understand the entire book of Revelation. How the writer, and we know that to be John, is communicating that to us by the Holy Spirit. And it simply says, write the things that you have seen. Okay, that's chapter 1. And the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3. That is, as we will see, the church age and the seven letters to the seven churches. And then the things which will take place after this, that is chapter 4 through 22. And we'll kind of dive through that and see what this is all going to look like. Again, in chapter 1, John's vision sees this exalted Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 are the seven letters to the seven churches. And then afterward, we will see the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, and then the coming back of Jesus. The other verse that I want you to look at is this. It is in chapter 17, verse 14. Please turn to it. Revelation 17, verse 14. Says, these will make war with the Lamb. That's speaking of Jesus. And the Lamb will overcome them. You're going to see this word overcome all through the book of Revelation. Notice, for he is the Lord of lords, King of kings, and those who are with him, that's us, are called chosen and faithful. That is an awesome verse. Let me read that last portion again. He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So as we work our way through, we're going to see that there is nothing to fear about the future because God has overcome the world. We're going to see that this is a book of comfort. By the way, this is not a book written to unbelievers. How many of you who were unsaved before read the book of Revelation? Anybody in the room? Okay, Lee, a couple of... Did it make sense to you? You're like, what is this? Right? It is only written to believers. Hence, also, Hebrews. Why is Hebrews so... It doesn't make sense because it was written to believers and believers only. So this revelation of Jesus Christ... The year is 95 A.D. Domitian is Ciro, uh, Ciro, Caesar. He has ascended to the throne. His predecessor, which is Nero, who slashed his own throat at 31 after coming contact with Paul the Apostle the second time. That'll teach you. And he continued his, well, this idea of Caesar worship, and he demanded uh, that the entire empire and the subjects worship him as Caesar. The emperor, the emperor had demanded that he be worshipped as the Lord and God, and the refusal of the Christians to obey his edict 
led them to severe persecution and exile, as we will see with John. John uh, was exiled, but we'll get to that in a second. Again, following a failed attempt to boil him alive, that's John. So tradition tells us that Domitian found out that John was over in Ephesus. He had been living there for about 30 years in Ephesus. He found out that he was there. He brought him to the Colosseum, and he had this giant pot of boiling oil, and they lowered John into it. And as he was being lowered into it, John started singing uh, worship songs. Now, he didn't boil up, right? Do you know why? Because he was a friar. Come on, people. That's gold. That's a dad joke. After, you're going to be driving home. You're like, that's pretty funny. (laughs) I stole that from another pastor. So following his failed attempt to boil him in oil, Domitian banished John to the rocky, barren, almost God-forsaken island of Patmos. Where is Patmos? Well, we're going to show you where Patmos is. It is right off the coast of Ephesus, right there. You can go there today. You could take a tour. There's a church there, and supposedly it's near the area where his cave was. We have no idea where it was. They just put it there to sell you some souvenirs. Amen. You're like, I got a t-shirt from Patmos. But I want you to look at that. We'll bring that up later on. But these are the seven churches uh, that in chapters 2 and 3 we're going to talk about. These are the ones uh, that Jesus will specifically write letters to. Now, please note that there are more churches in Asia Minor. There's Colossae. There's other churches in there. So why is he writing to just these seven? Ah, come back in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk about that. So... Think about this. Domitian is asking, Micah, take it off. What are you doing? Writing notes over there? Pay attention. Uh, He's writing notes down. Domitian has, has required everybody in the kingdom to pinch a little incense and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, this will become uh, important to us when we get to the mark of the beast. Because it is not something that they would not understand. In fact, they knew exactly what John was talking about. And specifically in Ephesus, where John is from, he knew exactly what this meant. Because in order to buy or sell, you needed to say Caesar is Lord every time you went into the marketplace. And if you didn't, Are you ready for this? If you didn't, a priest would follow you and say, this man does not worship Caesar. And as he goes into the the marketplace, people would say, oh, well, I guess we can't sell to him or we can't buy from him. You think cancel culture is new. It's from 90 AD. So as a believer, we could not and should not ever bow down to government. Listen, today, the government is calling itself the all-knowing ones. We know better than you. Uh, I'm going to excite you today. Uh, There was an article this week in the New York Times, so we know it's got to be right. 
How could it be wrong? It's the New York Times. They get everything right. Uh, Oh, I could launch into a whole thing about the New York Times and how they covered up the Holocaust in Germany. I digress. But there was an article that said, we need to stop critically thinking. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Knock it off. We'll tell you how to think. If you... If 2020 wasn't the year that we just had, I would think that's not real. There's no way that someone could write an article to tell Americans to stop critically thinking. That's impossible. It's there. They want you to stop critically thinking. They just want you to hear and believe what they are pushing, the narrative which they are pushing. Demission is pushing a narrative. And the Christians at this time are rising up and saying, we will not bow to government. What are we doing, church? We put a video on our parlor and on our Facebook. It's a link to it. A a pastor was teaching at uh, Jack Hibbs Church, and he wrote a book, Bonhoeffer, which we don't have in stock. We will uh, carry it at some point. And remember... We are falling into the same trap as Nazi Germany. The church did not stand up. The church was not vocal while the train cars were going by their churches filled with Jews going to the death camps. What is your line? When are you going to stand up? When are you going to make your voice known? Well, this church, we will not do what the government says, blindly. We will not pinch incense to Caesar because we just read Jesus is Lord of Lords. He is the overcomer. Why would I put my trust and faith in government? I got to get back to my notes. The uniqueness of this book is apparent from the very first word. Did you see it? It was the revelation of Jesus Christ. Original word apocalyptic or apocalypso means an unveiling. So you know how Hollywood puts out all these apocalyptic movies and it's like the end of the... That's not what the word means at all. They're wrong, shockingly. It means unveiling. It means to reveal something that was previously hidden. It just means to unveil. So what are we going to unveil? This whole book is about Jesus Christ. Now granted, as we look at this, it's filled with symbolism, but it's not symbolism that the early church did not know. Not only does the book of Revelation look forward to future events, It also looks back at the last 65 books that came before it. In fact, this is how the the book is best to be understood. By knowing the whole Bible, the characters, the symbols, the events, the numbers, colors, and so forth that have been covered in the 65 books before. Do you know why it's hard for people to understand the book of Revelation? Because they don't know their Bible. The early church knew their word. They they knew it. They understood these things. 
So when John quotes something as a symbol from the Old Testament, if you've never gone through Leviticus, how are you going to know that? Then it doesn't make sense to you. This is the problem in the church. The church needs to look at all 66 books, go through those, and that will help us understand what's going on in this book. Now, some have appropriately called the book of Revelation the Grand Central Station. It is where all the trains that have come before in Genesis, there's a scarlet thread of redemption, the nation of Israel, the Gentile nation, the church, Satan, its adversaries, the Antichrist, and much more, and all of them dead end in the book of Revelation. Is the culmination of everything. Now, you may uh, have a Bible version that says the revelation of St. John the Divine. Anybody got that in the room? That's a very old copy. That's not true. It is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Again, it is going to tell us and encourage us as we will see the things of Jesus. Now, in studying Revelation, as in all the Bible, we must be consistently keeping in mind the distinction between two entities in the Bible. That is Israel and the church. The church is a heavenly people blessed with spiritual blessings and called to share Christ's glory as the bride. Israel is God's ancient earthly people to whom God promised the land of Israel and a literal earthly kingdom under a messianic rule. That is what's going to transpire through this entire book. Again, the true church is mentioned in the first three chapters, but is not seen again until the marriage supper of the Lamb over in Revelation chapter 19. Again, remember, I said there's a lot in my head. A lot of the misinterpretations of Revelation stem from, as we will see in a minute, after 300 AD and some really bad doctrine coming into the church. And that view has continued all the way up until just recently. And so when you have all of those really bad doctrines that have filtered through the church you start to look at and view not only prophecy, but revelation through a different lens. And the different lens is that the church has replaced Israel or that the church is going through this millennial reign. Wow, uh, because it's great, right? As we'll see, a lot of the arguments that we're not really going to build on today, but later on, you'll see they just don't add up, and they don't add up because they don't know the context of it, and they don't know the historical nature of it, and dare I say, they haven't read the other 65 books. Now, there are several ways that people have interpreted the book of Revelation, and I'm going to read them to you, and I apologize that I am being quite winded right now, but... You came here, so you knew what you were getting. Again, there are different ways to interpret 
the book of Revelation, and this has been different ways for the last 2,000 years. Number one is the allegorical or non-literal approach. These are fancy words. This form of interpretation was offered by the Alexandrian school of theology in the 3rd and 4th century. Remember when I said that around 300 things started to change inside of the church? And that means doctrine and interpretation started to change. And when we get to the seven letters of the seven churches, we're going to lay out church history, and you'll be able to understand that fully. But during this time, they, they taught that the entire Bible was extensively allegorical in its view, which means it wasn't to be taken literally. That's what that means. Everybody got that? I didn't want to be fancy in my terms. I always want to bring it down because if I can't understand it, I can't understand it. So allegory versus literal. And so they taught that. The main proponent of this was Augustine in 354 through 430 who presented this new idea about the millennial kingdom being something post rather than pre that had been taught in the church before that time. Again, a a liberal variation of this in modern times considers Revelation simply as a symbolic presentation of the concepts of God's ultimate victory. They don't look at it as a literal book. The second view is the preterist approach. Now, this is a movement that has been around for a long time, but it has gained momentum Uh, in the last, I would say, probably 30 years. Hank Hanegraaff is one of the biggest proponents of preterism, to which I disagree wholeheartedly. I don't believe in it, therefore, I won't listen to him, nor will I tell anybody else to listen to him. Because if you're going to be wrong about something major about Revelation, what else are you going to be wrong about? Do you see that? Well, you know, just, you know, chew the meat, spit out the bones. I ain't got time for that. Preterism is this, all prophecy has been fulfilled. After 70 AD, there was no more fulfilled prophecy. How do you like that? Is that encouraging? Uh, No. How about this one? This is the next approach, the historical approach. This popular view came out of the Middle Ages. This view was advanced by Luther, Isaac Newton, and others. This they taught that the, not only the book of Revelation, but the Bible as a whole was more historical than, again, literal. The problem is uh, you have so many different combined historical views or interpretations of those times and of those meetings, and so you have all of these different historical views coming out when, in fact, yes, some of it is historical, but as we'll see in a minute, it's It's all about a literal future and a literal to come. Now, the last view is the futuristic view. It is an approach adopted by conservative scholars, usually pre-millennialist or pre-rapture or pre-tribulation rapture views. This states that chapters 4 through 22 deal with events that are yet future. And so the context of Revelation 4 through 18 describe not only the last seven years of man on, uh, as far as the tribulation, but then this thousand-year reign that will come. And by the way, pause. 
I know I'm talking fast. I get that. We're gonna, it's all going to make sense, and then you can rewatch this later on and put me at half speed. So we have these, we have these kind of views of revelation. So the question is, not that I ever care about this, the question is, what do I believe as a pastor and a teacher? Well, I have to say that in the 26 years of being a pastor and teaching through the Bible, I have yet to waver from this point that I will make in a minute. I have been consistent in the way that I teach this far as the view, and that is that it is literal. So, for the most part, aside from something like in Daniel where he sees a wheel in a wheel, right? And we're like, is that a UFO or what? Well, I'm taking what he sees as literal, but it might be symbolic in what it is saying. Or he is trying to describe something like a helicopter or a missile, but they don't have the vocabulary for it. Everybody got that? So when all else fails, the best way to interpret the Bible is take it literally. Always take it literally. Unless it says as we will see, and John saw something like, obviously, it's going to be something that is a symbol of something. And we're going to talk about why that is important in a minute. But this view of taking it literally is actually very old. It is how the early church believed it. They believed exactly what Jesus said. And it wasn't until the 300s that this view of symbolism or allegory flooded into the church and it became detrimental to the church. One last point here about the book of Revelation is, for all the children of God, the book of Revelation teaches us the folly of living for things that will shortly pass away. It spurs us to witness to the perishing and encourages us to wait with patience for the Lord's return. For the unbeliever, oh man, you might be terrified if you read this. Verse 1. Micah, that was pretty good. It was only a 30-minute intro. So the word revelation, again, means unveiling or to disclose or a disclosure of what has been concealed before. Remember at the end of Daniel when God tells Daniel to shut up the book of Revelation? It's not for you. It's for those who will come later, who will go to and fro, and they will increase in knowledge. That's us. We are increasing not only in knowledge and technology, but knowledge of the Bible. And here is the main point that you got to grab. This is why uh, the study of end times eschatology is so important in our day because we have one big factor that the rest of the generations didn't have. Anybody guess what it is? It's Israel. Specifically, it's 1948. And as soon as Israel became a nation... and, and the, Let me tell you why this is fascinating. I was telling the guys in the booth this. Ironside, who you have his his, um, little map there, uh, 
he wrote his first commentaries on Revelation in 1930. There is no Israel in 1930. And a lot of these guys before 1948 couldn't wrestle with the nation of Israel coming back. How is that going to work? How are all these things going to come into play? Well, then you have Israel come into play in 1948. Then you have a guy named Walvern, who is the modern father of what we would uh, consider end time study, Dallas Seminary, and he writes one of the best. We already sold out. We'll have more in next week. His commentary on Revelation, and what he does is he starts to piece together, okay, 1948, okay, there's Israel, okay, and he starts to line these things up, and now they start to make sense. That's exactly what God told Daniel what would happen. So it has been something that has been concealed, but is now revealed to us. Now, a lot of the things that are in this book, that church, and again, 95 AD, those seven letters of the seven churches, uh, as well as the others, they're going to understand a lot of this. They're going to understand some of the symbolism because of the days in which they live in. Now listen, keep in mind that the churches in Asia Minor were facing persecution and it was, as we've already talked about, it was important for them to understand that Jesus is the overcomer. In fact, in some of the letters he's going to say, I give you the ability to overcome the situation that you are in, the persecution that you are about to go through. They are going through persecution under Domitian. They're going to get under further persecution. And so people would say, how in the book of Revelation is it comforting? It's comforting to those who know you're living in a whacked out world, but don't worry, God's overcome the world. That's comfort. And I don't know about you, but I love the fact that God's going to blow up half the planet. All right, just me. (laughs) Get him, God. I'll repent later. Notice he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his doulos, servants, things which must shortly take place. Now, if you think to yourself, um, uh, shortly, uh, hasn't it been 2,000 years? Yes. Let me get, I just came out of my notes, sorry. Where is it? There it is. So shortly, it, it means this. That when it starts, it's going to get faster and faster and faster. You know what's funny is the word shortly, the Greek word to our English word is tachometer. Isn't that interesting? It measures the engine performance. It tells you basically how fast you are going in your engine, the revolutions. And so the word means, listen, when this thing starts to get going, you are not going to stop it. So it means that it will happen rapidly. Listen, despite Revelation being written almost 2,000 years ago, to God the prophecies of the book will happen in great speed. Once it goes, and just so you know, 1948 is another click. As soon as 1948 happened, things started to fall into place. Not out of place, into place. But then he said these things were signified 
uh, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his to his servant John. And we'll talk about John in a minute. But this word signified in Revelation 1 furnishes an, an advance notice for us of the sim, symbolic nature that God is going to use in communicating to John and to the church. And listen, you might ask yourself, why is he going to do that? I'm going to list out several reasons why the symbolism is so heavy in this book. Again, this has nothing to do with how we, uh, at the end, interpret the communication. We need to remember that literal interpretation needs, needs to be the way that we look at this book. So, when it says signified, it literally means to show by sign or by wonder or by miracle. It's the same word used in the Gospel of John for the miracles of Jesus Christ and the miracles that he carried out. So, why did John use symbolism? For one thing, it's kind of a spiritual code. Now, I say that and you're like, oh, code, exciting, deep. Biblical, nope, throw that and take that book and put it under your couch leg. There are no biblical codes, guys. God hasn't put something in here that is so deep, and we're going to get to that. He has revealed his word so that babes could understand it. Wouldn't it be terrible if we I mean, take the children's ministry, Alec and Maria are in the back, and they're like, we like to tell you about uh, David and Goliath, but... It's a hidden code. No, it's not. It's a kid versus a giant who has God on his side. See how that works? John is going to use this symbolic code. Why? Well, if any Roman officer or soldier tried to use the book of Revelation as evidence against the Christians, the book would have seemed like a puzzle to them. It wouldn't make sense. It's not the language they know. But even a greater reason for the symbolism is that it does not weaken over time. John was able to draw on on these great images in God's revelation, and he assembled them into an exciting drama that not only helped the persecuted Christians, but all who would come after that. Remember, these symbols, these literal interpretation of revelation, they're real. And just because John doesn't know what a helicopter is or a missile doesn't make it not real. Does everybody get that? He's talking about times today. How do you describe a tank in 95 AD? Well, we live in that world. What if you don't live in that world? What does a missile look like to you? Right? What does an asteroid, wormwood, look like when it's coming through the atmosphere that John sees? He sees a mountain burning. That's all he knows. That's his reference. And so the symbols are real. We just put them into our language or remembering where they are in theirs. The third reason why John used symbolism is symbols not only convey information, but it also imparts values and arouses emotion. John could have written, a dictator will rule the world, but instead he described him as a beast. Now remember, Domitian is at this time. What if John would have said, there's an Antichrist coming, and he's like Domitian? 
Everybody who had that copy would have been arrested. Do you see that? So rather than that, the Holy Spirit tells him to say a beast instead of that. The symbol says much more than just the mere title of dictator. Instead of explaining the world system, John simply introduces Babylon the Great. (laughs) Now, those who knew the Old Testament would know what Babylon meant. So they didn't need an interpretation. The problem is, inside of the church, if you haven't gone through the Old Testament, you don't know what Babylon is and what it meant and the idolatry of that and the fact that God allowed the children of Israel to be in Babylon for a certain time. So you're lost in the symbol of that. By the way, does anyone see yet how, how easy this book is to understand? Anybody? It'll come. I know you're over. I just, I'm giving you information with a fire hose. I get that. It's hard to take in, especially if you've never gone through this book before. Guys, there are nearly 300 references to the Old Testament in Revelation. That should tell us something, right? That we should know our Bible. Therefore, it'll help us understand what's coming next. We also need to be careful not to try to dig a hole and find some hidden message or truth. And I just alluded to that. We, we need to be careful about that because we're going to talk about how we think as thinkers, how we were raised to think and how we were educated. Um, we, we need to be careful because a lot of people want to dive so deep into it, right? All we need to do is really read and understand what the Bible is saying. Guys, when the Bible talks about living water, let me give you an example. When the Bible talks about living water, what is Jesus talking about? Well, they're trying to figure out what is it? Is it a spiritual meaning? Is it? No. Living water in their day is running water. It doesn't come from a cistern which is polluted. See how easy it is? when you look at the Bible and you understand its terms. So living water is running water. There's not a hidden meaning to it. Oh, yes, we could apply some spiritual meaning to it. But Jesus is saying to the woman at the well, which is a polluted well, would you rather have this well, this polluted, or would you rather have pure living water that comes out of that spring just a couple of miles down the road? And then he applies that and he puts a, hence, parable And he shows her that this is what living water, this is what eternal life will will be about. There's not a hidden message to it at all. Living water is running water. When we get to a place in Revelation when it says the green grass is removed, do you know how many people have tried to write books about that? Well, what does the green grass mean? You know what it means? Green grass. (laughs) Trees, green grass. Stop trying. But this is what we do. We think, it can't be that easy. It can't just be green grass. There's got to be a deeper meaning to it. Nope. Sometimes it's just green grass. Again, as Greek thinkers, and I went into this in the book of Colossians, and I was debating on this morning, but I'm running out of time, so probably next week we'll get into it, how we think. 
Because the problem in our world in 2021 is we don't think like Jews. We don't think like Hebrews. We think like Greeks. That's not our fault. It's just how we were taught. We have a Western way of thinking. And a Western way of thinking is not only an educated way of thinking, but it's an investitory mind. Is that even a word? Investitory? Investigative. It's like Sherlock Holmes, right? I mean, you wouldn't have Sherlock Holmes in a Hebrew way of thinking. They just don't think that way. Let me give you a, a, a point about that. We'll get into this next week. The, the Jews believe that if God said it, well, that's it. We believe it. They don't think, well, what is that hidden? What does the snake really mean? What is the wall of what? No, they said God said it and we believe it. And the biggest problem that we have is that we think, well, we need to, if God left something out, we need to figure it out ourselves. We need to figure out that that's how a Greek thinks. But that's not how the Bible was written. The Bible was written in this way. God is sovereign and man has a, a choice. Predestination and free will. Which one is correct? Both of them. They're both correct. How do I know that? Because God said both. But a Greek looks at it and goes, no, 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 you can't have two opposing views. That's contradicting itself. It doesn't make sense. Right. But to God it does. But we look at it from a Greek way of thinking, not a Hebrew way of thinking. A Hebrew looks at it and goes, well, God said both points, so they're both right. Well, that doesn't make sense. I don't care, but he said both of them, so it's right. Well, what is he trying to say? He's trying to say he knows everything, and he gave us a choice. People take the book of Revelation, and they try to go too deep. Don't go too deep. You got a, you got a shovel, put a little tape around it, just about an inch deep. If God wants us to go deeper, he's going to let us know, isn't he? But just remember, he's writing to a people who are under persecution and a people that need encouragement. So, I mean, think about it. If you're the church of Smyrna and you're getting persecuted, do you want to go, all right, who's the guy in the room that knows how to dig deep into God's word? Well, the encouragement is on the surface because we believe it and we look at it as literal. Last two verses. By, uh, I can't even get out of verse 1. Let me mention John for a minute. Everybody's gone. Everybody that John knows is gone. Peter is gone. His brother James is gone. Obviously, Jesus is gone. Mary is gone. At one point, um, John was taking care of Mary. That's biblical tradition. Everybody's gone. All the apostles have been martyred. Everybody's dead. I mean, they tried to kill me, John says. He's the only one left. This is a guy who has lived his entire life following Jesus. Literally, as a kid, probably 14 to 17 years old when he's, when he's a disciple of Jesus. He writes John, which is amazing. He writes the epistles. And now God puts him on a rocky island 
mostly by himself, to write one of the most amazing books ever. See, the thing about John's life is this. It's encouraging. (laughs) Maybe today you're on Patmos. Are you on a rocky, barren place? And you feel like you're being persecuted and singled out? But in that place where God has you, like John, he might be doing a great work. What if John was bummed out and said, I'm not writing anything about some future. I want to get off this island now and have falafel. Get back to Ephesus. By the way, he does go back to Ephesus eventually, and he dies there. It's John. This is the disciple who gives us love and grace. It's John. And he tells us in verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Imagine what he saw. Remember at the end of John, John says, if I was to write all that I saw and heard, there wouldn't be basically, paraphrase, a library of Congress. Can you, aren't you glad that you can carry the word of God in this? This handy land, let's go to church. Imagine if you had to bring a wheelbarrow. Let's turn and open up to John chapter 3065, right? Imagine what John saw just as a disciple and then now what he is about to see. And here it is, verse 3. This is how we end. That's a great way to end because it is the only book in the Bible that gives you a blessing for reading it. Blessed is he who reads, three things to take note of. Blessed is he who reads, he who hears the words of this prophecy and keeps those things that are written in it for the time is nigh or the time is near. So three things, reads, hears, and keeps. So the blessing comes upon this. You got to remember, guys, that in the writing of this book, 95 A.D., They don't have Bibles like we have Bibles. This Bible is only put together roughly after 300 A.D. in its totality in the form that we know it today. So they don't have the Bible. How do they hear the Bible? Because there's a copy of the scroll that church has it, Ephesus, of Thyatira has it, or Laodicea has it, and the only way to hear it is by the reading of it. So when he says... He who reads, so the guy standing up, are you ready for it? I'm blessed today. Uh Uh-huh. Those who hear, that's you. But notice, but the ones who keep those things. It's not enough just to hear this book. You got to keep them. The blessing only happens to the keepers, not to the forgetters. Amen. So, When we get to the heavy sections of chapter 2 and 3 that apply personally not only to churches but to us individually, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. That's our part, the keeping of that. For the time is near. This is part of the seven blessings that are in Revelation. I'm not going to read them, but I will give them to you. The first one here is in chapter 1, verse 3. 
The second one is in chapter 14, verse 13. The next one is in chapter 16, verse 15. The next one is in 19.9. Then 26, 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 6. 22, verses set, uh, uh, verse 7. And the last one is this. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. This book is filled with blessing to God's people. Not to the unsaved, but to God's people. It's a blessing to be able to sit in the United States of America and have a copy of God's word. Because there are churches and people around this world that don't have what you have. How many of these do you have at home? Do you know that there are people who don't even have a complete page of the Bible? And then we don't want to read it? We are the most blessed. Listen, we're going to get to Laodicea. We're going to get to the entitled church. This is really the church of America. The church that thinks that they're entitled to certain things. But the blessing really happens when we come together as a corporate body. This is true not only in the book of Revelation, but every time we come together, you, me, everybody that listens to this is blessed. Why? Because God's word won't return void. Amen? Read ahead the next part of, I I told Michael we were getting to verse 8, but that was not going to happen at all. Uh, But we will actually do the rest of that chapter for next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence, your love, and your patience upon us. We thank you, Lord, for your word that's alive and it's powerful and that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you for the days in which we are living in. I pray for those who are on the Isle of Patmos today, wherever they are, Maybe they're feeling alone, but we know that they are not alone, that you are with them. You will never leave them nor forsake them, and that you have a purpose and a plan for their life and a reason why they are there. And for the rest of us, Lord, we thank you. And we just, we long to see your face. We long to see the things in Revelation take place. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us a blessing through this, as your word says, to be encouraged and strengthened, to live this life another year on planet Earth. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.